Hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. This episode is sponsored by the super cool, customized camper van company, Dream Drive. Why not rent a camper van and explore more of Japan in comfort and style? Now and Zen is also sponsored by the Gugu Mattress Company. Super comfortable and very affordable. Nothing better than a great night's sleep with a Gugu mattress. Discount codes available later in the podcast. Hello, everybody. This episode, I speak with a real expert on the Japan consumer packaged goods market. Paul Kraft is the president of Haribo Japan. You know, gummy bears. He got his start in Japan with Starbucks, then launched Honey Baked Ham, and recently with Haribo, oversaw the production of a hilarious TV commercial with sumo wrestlers. We talk inside info on how distribution and sales work at grocery and convenience stores, two strategies on how new brands can gain legitimacy with Japanese consumers, specific packaging localization tactics, and why chewing gum has lost its popularity. This is a fun and great business case filled episode. So, direct from Tokyo, this is Now in Zen with Paul Kraft. In Japan, the effort is more important than the result. Yeah, that's a very good point. The effort, the pro- process is, as long as you're seen as doing what you're supposed to do, yes. regardless of the outcome, that's more important. The input is more important than the output. Most Westerners would say that the outcome is important. Yeah. Yes. No, I, I think, um, you know, we, we, we tried our best. Is not as good as we were successful and reached the goal. I'll leave it there. <laughs> I mean, how many flavors are there in one bag? Well, Haribo would be five. Haribo, I'm sorry, Haribo Gold Bears would be five. What's your favorite flavor? I like the raspberry. I like the red ones. Okay. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers. Your professional experience here in Japan has been pretty unique. <laughs> a few years with Starbucks Coffee,、mm-hmm. you were the head of Honey Baked Ham, which you launched in Japan.、Mm-hmm. You even had a couple of Honey Baked Ham cafes, if yep. I remember. Yeah, yep. we did. Then you were with Nespresso, and for the past three years, you have been heading up everyone's favorite gummy bear company, Haribo. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I consider you one of the experts. When it comes to the consumer packaged goods market in Japan. So I'm excited to have you on the podcast, Paul. Thank you for joining well, me. Well, welcome to be here. It's an honor, and that rundown sort of wore me out. <laughs> well, it is. Lots going on in the past 13 years. 13 years it、yeah. has been. Okay, well, let's start a little chronologically. Starbucks, they first opened in Japan in 1996, but didn't enter the packaged coffee market until later. Mm hmm. You headed up that division when you joined, is this correct? That's correct. So, they,、uh, Starbucks launched Cup Coffee. So, it's a plastic cup with a straw in it, available now、uh, in, in many supermarkets. That was the, it was called, that's called Ready to Drink.、Mm-hmm. So, canned coffee、right. is also a type of ready to drink coffee. So, I joined when that was in its infancy. 
So then, was it a little bit like a startup then within the Starbucks family well, here in Japan? It actually it was going to be a startup, but my predecessors did a fabulous job and it exploded. It's so popular. They were out of stock and they had to build another factory and the whole thing. And then it was big enough where the Starbucks needed someone to live in Japan and, and run it. Yeah. So and, the factory is in Japan or is in the States?、Uh, yes. So the factory to make the drinks is、uh, the joint venture is still with Suntory. And that, was, that one particularly was Takanashi Milk. Isn't the joint venture with Sazabi Japan? It was. You're correct. On the cafe side of the business.、Right. And、uh, Sazabi ended up selling that back 2014, something like that. Don't quote me on that, but、sure. yeah. So I think they. they you were all... long gone by then, yeah, anyway, so yeah, it yeah, doesn't matter. Exactly.、You're... But that was unique, right? When、yeah. we all live in Japan, we all have interesting reporting lines. And I did not report to Starbucks Japan, that was a separate entity. My boss was in Seattle. The concept of pre packaged coffee in Japan is not new.、Mm-hmm. Japanese consumers had already been drinking canned coffee sold from vending machines for years.、Mm-hmm. So, were there any specific challenges to get Starbucks into this very competitive market?、Mm-hmm. Well, I think the, the number one thing Starbucks really wanted to get into the canned coffee market. So, the canned coffee market today is a little bit of a shadow of its former self. With the, now the coffee machines and everything in the convenience stores. But at the time, you know, every taxi driver, construction worker, office lady, whatever, I mean,、yeah. they were drinking, you know, Wanda, Morning Shot, Georgia, Coffee Boss. And this was, you know, over a million、uh, vending machines in, in, in Japan.、Uh, that's a big market. What was bigger, packaged beverage market or the, the coffee shop business? As far as dollar sales go, it was the cafe business, of course. By far. However, at one point, we figured out that if you put everything on the packaged coffee side together, we probably served more cups of coffee outside a Starbucks store than, than inside a Starbucks.、Um, you know, we sold bags of coffee, or we had instant coffee called Via, and we had the pour over coffee, the, sometimes it's called.、Um, it's like a pre packaged filter. Yes, there, there's a special name for that. I, We called it origami. But anyway, origami we, filter. Yes.、Uh, we sold, for a while there, we sold more cups of coffee outside the stores. So in convenience stores, supermarkets, we had gifting in, in, in department stores, etc.、Uh, we sold more cups of coffee outside the stores than we, than we served inside. Well, that could have been true back then because you probably didn't have. The quantity of stores that、yes. they have now. I that, wonder that's also would, true. would、yes. that story be the same today? I, I highly doubt it. Probably not. So, part of your distribution channel then for、mm-hmm. the, the packaged Starbucks yep. Yep. was it into vending machines or was it into supermarkets? Was it into convenience stores?、Yep. What, what channels were you targeting? It was primarily three、uh, convenience stores, supermarkets, as well as department stores. So, department stores was the、uh, Osebo Ochugen gifting,、mm-hmm. which was a very nice piece of business for us.、Um, also, a lot of great marketing. The price point was obviously、nice、10 times,、point. 20 times yes, higher. Yes, yes. So, it was really those three channels. And like many food or packaged goods brands in Japan, you, you sort of start off in CVS to get the initial, in convenience stores to get the initial buzz, to get the trial.、Uh, but CVS is really always moving on to what's new. And then,、uh, you know, the supermarkets and department stores is really was the bread and butter for many, many years and still is. Well, many companies wanting to distribute and sell stuff in Japan often find it extremely difficult to crack what you're just talking about the、mm-hmm. grocery and convenience store channels.、Mm-hmm. 
because it's such a huge opportunity. Right. What are some of the unique characteristics of this market and what are the major differences from what Westerners might be used to? Yeah, okay. Well, it's a big topic. So why don't we, they're sort of the, the, the modern and then the antiquated. Okay. And the modern, as you can maybe guess, is convenience stores. Three of the top four convenience store chains in the world are in Japan. And they're very sophisticated. They have over 58 to 58,000 stores total, depending on the year. And they are really a machine. And they really don't care about your brand at all. <laughs> um, they want to, you know, take your brand and put it into their machine. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, there's frankly not a lot you can do about it. What's, what's the period where they decide whether it works or it doesn't work? A month. Perhaps different to what most Westerners are used to. It's a very democratic process, and they, they let the store owners or the individual franchisees choose, for the most part, what's on the shelf. Really? And if something doesn't sell well, the individual franchisees won't reorder it. Well, that's interesting, because I thought that for economies of scale, they would probably have a common assortment. So uh, what you could buy at a 7-Eleven here in Tokyo might be probably 70 to 80% the same that would be offered at a 7-Eleven, say, in Hokkaido or Osaka. I would say that it could very well be the case. And of course, different franchisees have different levels of sophistication. But they would have a core selection. Like, you can order for, of these, 30 gummies, I'll just say gummies, for the next six months, and they'll have new ones every Tuesday, new products every Tuesday, but then, you know, it's really up to the individual store to put on the shelf what what they want. They do, you see them with their iPad looking, you know, gadgets, ta- gadgets and it, it makes recommendations for them, it tells them what, and they go through and they order, and they will, of course, they'll put the, the competitive number one product will almost always find the shelf. But, you know, you can go, I was just walking around here in the Nakameguro neighborhood before we met Andrew, very different uh, yeah. from store to store. So every Tuesday is when new products drop. Exactly, yes. Really? Yes. So let's back up a little bit. Do you have to use a wholesaler to get into? I mean, how do you pitch Family Mart or 7-Eleven or Lawson? I mean, how right. do you even introduce because it seems so competitive how do you yep. even how do you even knock on their door and say hey we're starbucks we're world famous or we're hottie bow we're world famous um we want to be in your store how does that process work you do need first of all you know to know or to get an appointment with their designated wholesaler so that wholesaler ends up being you know the gatekeeper depending on the the chain they may do the distribution the warehousing the ordering they might do the billing they might, you know, handle all of that. It's almost sort of a business process outsourcing that Lawson Family Mart and 7-Eleven have done to their wholesalers. So the first step is to get an appointment with those wholesalers. And they will have many questions for you, of course, but that's the first, the first place to start. Who's in charge of inventory? Well, you are. We are, as the manufacturer. If something doesn't sell, they tell you to come pick it up. There's no minimums. There's no... Not from the store, but from the warehouse. Yes, from the warehouse. Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah. But if, it, if after four weeks it's not selling and they project that where that inventory space can be better utilized, they'll tell you to come pick it up. And of course, they don't want you to be out of stock either. So there are many horror yeah. stories of yeah. if you're out of stock, they not only 
want compensation for their lost profits, but then they will make you repurchase your space back. And with convenience stores, it really is a, the, the retailers have the power and the retailers want to keep the power. I think that's true in almost every retail environment in Japan. Supermarkets, department stores. Yes, it it, it is. But they will, in my experience, go to greater lengths to make sure that they have the power. And they don't care about your brand. Yeah, They they seem a little more ruthless. It seems like they would be. Um, Let's talk about Haribo at convenience stores. Mm -hmm. Because I see Haribo everywhere these days. You must be doing something right. (laughs) But it's not just getting your product in. Because in department stores, they talk a lot about about shelf space. Mm -hmm. So you get this 90-centimeter shelf or you get this 180-centimeter shelf for your product. And you can kind of fill it Mm -hmm. as you wish. Mm -hmm. And I was at a convenience store about two months ago, and I saw a Haribo. Great. And there were three SKUs there. And then I was there last week, and there were five SKUs. All right. Good for you, Excellent, excellent. Do they allocate you space, or do they allocate you by the product? They put you in their system. That allows the franchisees, they look on their tablet computers, and that allows them to order. So there are, there's a computer algorithm. It might be, you know, I always order Haribo Gold Bear, which is our number one, or Haribo Happy Cola. You know, maybe that's what they always want, so they all, maybe they have a standing order. But if we launch a new product, that will pop up on their screen toward the top of their choice ah, list. okay. So it, it is up to the franchisees, but the algorithm sort of pushes them. So they're kind of looking a, at a digital catalog. Exactly. Yep. And they kind of pick and choose as they want. As they want. Interesting. And if they want to reorder Haribo and it's not on the top of the list, they can probably scroll down to find it. But as I, I alluded to earlier, new products, they don't launch twice a year. They launch every Tuesday, 50 weeks a year. They take a week off for Golden Week and they take a week off for Oshogatsu, New okay. Year. Okay. But every Tuesday, new product. So if you want to see what's new, Go and go go every Tuesday. What percentage of that changes every Tuesday? Can't be that much. More than ten percent or less than ten percent? More than ten percent. Really? Easily. Let's talk about what you know best. Confectionery though. Okay. So that confectionery aisle. It's got yep. gum, it's got yep. gummies, it's yep. got cookies, yep. snacks. Yeah. Yep. How about that? What's that turnover every I, Tuesday? I, every Tuesday I would say that it is twenty percent different than the Tuesday before. During the high season, which would be spring and summer. So chocolate starts to melt, and chocolate slightly goes down a little bit uh, in the spring and summer. Gummies, chews, tablets, haichu uh, tends to go up a little bit. It's, it's very dynamic. Wow. I didn't re- <laughs> so, so gummy bears are also seasonal? A little bit. Not as much as other products. Like but, ice cream? Yeah, not as much as ice cream, but there's definitely a little bit of a wave. Interesting. I think we got sidetracked a little bit, but let's go back to the original question about mm-hmm. not just foreign companies, actually Japanese companies as well. They want to distribute and they want to sell their stuff. One of the best channels for them is convenience stores and grocery stores. Yes. But they're completely different. The distribution yes. strategy, the sales strategy. Yes. Could you shine some more light on yes. that? Well, we talked about convenience stores and right. how they're very modern and very sophisticated. The other end of the spectrum is supermarkets. So if you go to the UK, Germany, I'm sure Australia, the US, the top five grocery store chains probably make up 
anywhere from 50 to 80% of the grocery store market. Walmart, Kroger, Tesco in the UK. Here, the top 25 chains have less than 20% of the market. So it's extremely fragmented. And you might say, well, big deal, what does that mean? Well, what, is that? what that means is, compared to other markets, nobody has the economies of scale. I, I sort of joke and I say I'm from Minnesota originally, and it's like the grocery store market in Minnesota in the 70s. You know, you might have a couple stores here around these towns, and then the next town over you have a different store. What about the Itoyokados and the Eons? They're, they're uh, yeah. huge. Uh, yeah, so if you take all Eon banners, and that includes the little My Basket stores right. all the way up to the big Eon stores, yeah, that's about 13% of total grocery. Wow. One, one three. Itoyokado would be 3% of total, 3 to 4% of so total So we're talking grocery. about those two big giants are only 15% of total supermarkets in exactly. Japan. Wow, I had no idea about that. And with the lack of economies of scale, people from the West, you know, they're used to big data systems, loyalty cards, dynamic pricing, we call it category management, so really a science behind right. what goes on the shelf and, and things like this. Nope. Did these supermarkets sometimes fax you their orders? Uh, that, that is not, <laughs> not uncommon. That happens. Of course that happens, yes. The sophistication is really less than, than what we're used to. The other thing is, you know, just call it the, the points of call or the, how many sales meetings do you have to have. In the U.S. or the countries we talked about, you can probably have 10 sales meetings and hit 50% of the market. Here, 10 sales meetings, you don't even have half of Tokyo covered. Sort of the manpower or the sales team size and sophistication has to be huge. And so you have these huge sales teams to manage you know, a market that is... But don't wholesalers also do that? If you're Meiji, uh, Morinaga, Lotte, Suntory, Coca-Cola, Yes, wholesalers are going to be very anxious to watch over your products and make sure that you're selling great. If you're smaller or you're not a part of one of these very large conglomerates, you know, you have to sort of get in there and fight for your space. One of the things we try to do is wherever we can partner with other brands just to try to, you know, build build synergies. How does that work? For Starbucks, for Haribo? Well, for Starbucks it really wasn't that well, for Starbucks, okay, so Starbucks was for the coffee business, was part of Ajinomoto. So Ajinomoto, we had a joint, we had a joint venture, and for all of Ajinomoto's products, all of their other coffee products, so Blendy, right. et cetera, they had the same sales. So it's the synergy of uh, using an existing sales team. You could piggyback off of exactly. their efforts, yeah. Speaking of getting that done, you ready for a beer? I'm ready for a beer. Okay. So honey baked ham, God, I loved honey baked ham. <laughs> Japan was the first foreign expansion outside North America. Yes. And if I remember correctly, you actually convinced the founding family of the Japan market opportunity. I did, yes. How did that all happen? Well, you know, I mean, were you eating honey baked ham in Minnesota and said, on, on a vacation back to the well, States? Well, that's, that's a funny thing. So I, I, had, I had heard about it and eaten it when I lived in the States. And a funny thing, my, my brother-in-law actually worked for honey baked ham for a time. Japan has every gourmet food from around the world available, except a decent ham. So of course you can buy, you know, prosciutto and parma and all this other stuff. 
And it was a, a business partner here, had also been exposed, a Japanese gentleman who also had been exposed to honey baked ham. And it was actually his idea, Paul, how about honey baked ham? I said, that's a great idea. And by the way, my brother-in-law works there. It's like um, fate. Yeah, yeah. And, and a little bit of a dog on the bone. You know, we did some, as they call in Japan, desk research. You know, going online and looking looking for the size of the market and who the players are and, you know. Basic research. Basic research. I gave him a call. I bought the president's phone number on some weird website and I gave him a call and I sent him a letter and we had a conference call and I went and saw him about three times and then they came over here once and it took about a year and a half to get them on board. Why were they hesitating? They'd never done it before. They had, of course, thought about expanding. Maybe like any business like that, they thought Canada would be the first place to expand. And now here's this, you know... Oh, they didn't even sell it in Canada yet. No. They, with my Starbucks background, and I have a little bit of background in logistics and 3PL and food, and, you know, I was sort of genki enough or <laughs> enthusiastic enough to keep bothering them. And you love their brand. Yeah, and it, and it you know, in- any good marketer would say, oh, it was ahead of its time. Well, when I met you many years ago, Honey Baked Ham had an interesting multi-channel sales strategy. It was e-commerce mixed mm-hmm. with high-end food retail channels like cafes, restaurants, and luxury hotels. Yep. We started multi-channel. The first thing we did was build a website. It was target the people who would understand what Honey Baked Ham is. The second place was we felt that we needed to have some sort of legitimacy or stamp of approval of the Japanese market. You know, just sort of showing up and and selling ham wasn't going to work. So we targeted the high-end hotels because we thought that gave us sort of a stamp of approval to enter more traditional Japanese venues. So it's like, honey baked ham, who are you? Where are you from? U.S. pork, what's that? And we would say, oh, the Nuotani uses us or the Okura. And that was that immediately got us over barriers um, nice. inside Japan with many retailers, many uh, shops, and um, that really helped. Nothing like the power of affiliation to drive a price <laughs> premium, right? Exactly. Cool. You might, as a foreign brand or or any brand launching new, you might have sort of a, a legitimacy problem. You know, who are you? What's your kodawari? They might be suspicious of you. What can you do? to get over that hurdle. And exactly. The, and the Honey Big Ham example for us was, you know, to get in the new Otani. Well, all hotel new Otanis serve our, serve our product. Okay, then you're, then, you're, then you're legit. Could you use it in your advertising and in your publicity? Carefully. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Strategically. Yes, yes. Well, it's the sort of thing where you don't want to ask because they might say no. But we, <laughs> we were... Well, you could always do a barter. Well, yeah, but we... Uh, get testimonials. Yeah, that helps. They, they, were, they were very kind to us, you know. Exactly. I see Haribo everywhere these days. All right, that means I'm doing my job. Yeah, convenience stores, grocery stores, obviously that's where your background is, but also train kiosks, Mm -hmm. specialty stores, Costco even. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are you doing right? Uh, Huh, I don't, well, let's see. So I I guess the number one thing we did... A little more conviction in your answer, please. (laughs) (laughs) The number one thing we did, first of all, is... We have been in Japan for 34 years. Haribo has been imported, parallel imported, or you know, by small business people. So many people know about it. And what Haribo, starting with my boss and you know me, but about five years ago, we said, okay, we can be in the specialty store, 
So long, long-term Japan hands will remember Sony Plaza. Yeah. Or so you know, we, th- those were sort of where where we were sold. But if we really want to be a big business, you know, we need to be in convenience stores and supermarkets. So, you know, we started on a. a and you weren't at that time. No, no. And so we started on a journey to get there. And just last year, we got, we finally got some of our P's of marketing correct. We got the, the product the right size. We got the price down to where... Product uh, right, right size, what does that mean? The packaging? The, the packaging, yes. So if you go to Germany, it's usually 200 grams. That's a lot. That's about four servings in Japan. If you buy a Japanese gummy, there's usually about 50 grams. And even with 50 grams, it's resealable. Wow. But you go to Germany, it's 200 grams, and that's a single serving. <laughs> America too. I don't need to pick on the Germans, but it's a German company. America, it's 500 grams. Well, yeah, it's open. It's open. It's gone. But uh, so when I joined, it, we had in the convenience stores we had 100 grams, but we were still too expensive. We were over 200 yen. That's a good point. Yeah. So we had to get it down to 80 grams. In the specialty stores, the 200 yen price point would work just fine. No problem. Right. They they go in there for the adventure and for the treat. In convenience stores, it's more daily use. So we had to get the weight down to get our price point down under 200 yen. And we did that about a year ago. And we've been climbing for the previous years, but I I feel like we're breaking through now, knock on wood. Well, that's interesting because the gummy bear market seems to be increasing in Japan. All the Japanese snack makers are making their versions of gummy bears, Mm -hmm. or gummy, I should say. Yes, yes, come on, Um, Andrew, come on. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) I mean, that's a good thing, right? Uh, if you say gummy yeah, and, the, and the next word that automatically comes out of your mouth is bear, you know that yeah, you kind of cornered yeah. the gummy market. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is this due to Haribo creating the market and competitors jumping on the bandwagon? Or is this just one of those snack trends like bubble tea and pancakes? I, I would say no to both questions. So it's not because of us. If it's, if it's because of Haribo, I think Japan saw gummies, gummies, in other parts of the world. And so Meiji, Morinaga, Kanro, you know, they they have sold the product. Six years ago, we were number six in the market. Today, we're number three. We're growing, but the category isn't growing. But they are. The gummy section is huge in the convenience store near my house. Okay. Is that a Lawson? It is actually a Lawson, yes. Well, Lawson, so our... distributor is Mitsubishi Shokuhin, Mitsubishi Foods. Mitsubishi Shokuhin, the majority owner, is Mitsubishi Corporation, Mitsubishi Shoji. Mitsubishi Shoji also owns the majority of Lawson convenience stores. Well, that is convenient, isn't that it? Is very, <laughs> Should I be very, taking notes here? Yes, well, it's a, it's a tangled web. Because of that, Lawson has been an important ally. They also happen to carry a lot of your competitors, too. Now, depending on the store by your house, it's really up to the franchisee. Yeah, but, as you said, but, yeah. yeah. A convenience store will carry anywhere from 20 to, I would say, 35 facings of gummies at any one time. Facings, so does that, does that mean like hooks? Yes, exactly, hooks. Putting a fine point on it. A skew might have two facings. So one product, Haribo Gold Bears, might have two hooks. That same product. Yes, just one skew, two facings. Mm. Oh, it's it's complicated, Andrew. <laughs> but your second question was, is gummy the next bubble tea? Could be, but I would say no. It is growing, but it's 
in the supermarket world, you know, a hot category is plus four percent. Okay. You know, th- so this is not on fire. Yeah, this not- isn't Netflix. But um, <laughs> I think it's more along the lines of what's not doing well. Gum, chewing gum, is really on the decline, not just in Japan, but globally. Reason is people are smoking less and cell phones. People are bored less. So chewing gum has really been on decline, especially in Japan. That's interesting. Chewing is still something people yearn for, and I, I think the innovation and the excitement and things in the in the gummy yeah, space that's a good point. Has, has stepped in. Chewing gum is an investment. <laughs> When's the last time you had a stick of black black? <laughs> Extremely high potent yes. spearmint. It's like chewing gum version of Hall's mentholated <laughs> yes, yes. throat lozenges. Now that you mention I haven't seen stick chewing gum for years. Right. Chewing gum is an investment in time. Your personal chewing time, whereas a gummy bear is gone in well, a couple minutes. And then, you know, we could go down the rabbit hole of the Japanese psyche. Yes, you know, please. The, the chew- <laughs> okay, okay. Well, chewing gum, you also have a problem. I have to spit it out. Do I want to wrap it up and put it in my purse? No. So you have a purse? No, but you know Japan, as you know, is a culture of how do I throw things away? Sure, how do I dispose of it? A- and you know you can't find a trash can to save your life. Exactly. So you know now I have a problem, and with a gummy, there's yeah. no problem. And you don't have to finish the whole 50 ounce bag. It has a Ziploc. Yeah. When I have uh, German visitors, I have a few uh, products I always show to them. It's like Ricola throat lozenges or throat yeah. candy. They have like a 15 ounce. It's like three little Ricola pieces. It has a resealable bag. Wow. We all know getting a great sleep is important. And this is what Goo Goo is all about. Super comfortable mattresses at very affordable prices and delivered to your home for free. They back up their best sleep ever promise with a 100 night money back guarantee. Learn more at gugu.jp and enter the coupon code ZEN for your 20% discount. Gugu. Better sleep, better you. Explore Japan in comfort and ease with Dream Drive. Rent a customized camper van to go camping, take nature hikes, relax at onsens, or just discover the many beautiful places less traveled around Japan. Dream Drive has various camper vans for solo travelers, and families, and is more affordable than trains and hotels as it's only one price per night. Go to dreamdrive.life to plan your next Japan adventure. Enter the coupon code ZEN and receive a sweet discount when making your customized camper van reservation. Dream Drive, the hotel on wheels. So I really want to talk about your TV advertisements. Ooh. It's really, this is a podcast, so unfortunately we can't show it. Haribo made a hilarious, creative, localized... Slightly risky. First of all, describe, explain what the mm-hmm. ad is, mm-hmm. and, and how did it all come about? The campaign is called Kids' Voices. The first thing we do is we record children, unscripted, speaking about Haribo gummies, eating gummies. Okay, so you did like a focus group where there's a bunch of kids and they're eating gummies. Two days in Ebisu. And then we just had group after group after group of kids. And really what we want that, you know, it's unscripted. We didn't say, say this, say this, say this. We want them to say things about Haribo. And we want them to say funny things. And at the very end, we have all of these sound clips. And we... Uh, Excuse me. In the recording industry, we call those sound bites. Sorry. 
sound bites. We have all these sound bites that we pick and choose from the, what the kids have actually s- unscripted, what they've said, okay. to make the story of the commercial. We actually start off by saying we're going to make a kids' voices about sumo, but we don't know what the dialogue is going to be exactly. We started off with recording these kids' voices, and we knew they were going to be lip-synced by sumo wrestlers. Retired, actual sumo wrestlers. Yes. Yes. The Kids' Voices campaign is you have the kids' voices lip-synced into an adult scene. It's the sumo wrestlers, and when they speak, coming out of their mouth are the kids' voices. Yes, yes, our kids' voices. Yeah, it's fantastic. And it has been done all over the world, 14 countries, I believe, but in, in Germany several times, in the UK, New Zealand. Oh, this... Yes, the, this, kid, the kids' voices concept. Oh, concept. Okay, so this is not unique for Japan. Only the sumo wrestlers is unique. It's exactly. localized. Exactly. Oh, so if you go to Germany or all the these US, other countries, yes. they have these kids' voices series. Exactly. It's a pretty good one. I think it's UK. I might be wrong. They have a heavy metal rock band. My favorite one is New Zealand. They do a rugby team. So they have the nice. big, burly yeah. rugby team, and then, you know, little kids' voices come out of there. Well, mouth. it works well for Japan, obviously, with yes. sumo wrestlers. Yes. Did you yes. have to get the approval of the Japan Sumo Association to do this? Yes and no. We have a, there's a casting agency that we used, and it is retired sumo wrestlers, and this is their job. And we hired them. And, of course, they are in close relationship with the Japanese sumo federation. However, I do have to say that our partner, local partner, was nervous about this, and we did go meet with the Japanese uh, Sumo Federation just to make sure everything was going to be okay. You know, as, as a marketer, I like to take risks and things. I'm sure you do too, but I understand when people were raised an eyebrow, and honestly speaking, I was also a little concerned yeah. at first. Did you explain about the New Zealand and the UK version and yes. that they'd used uh, rugby players yes. and heavy metal bands, yes. etc.? Yes. That would help. The Sumo Association, that whole industry welcomed it. Nice. And, you know, I was skeptical or I was nervous, but we did focus groups on it, of course. All the consumers said, oh, I get it, fine. How's the ad been received in Japan? Excellent. I've done lots of things in my career. But to actually run a TV commercial and look on a sales chart and see when the TV commercial started, it's a thing of beauty, Andrew. TV advertising in Japan is not cheap. However, back to something we touched on earlier, but that's the legitimacy of your product. For us making a local spot with something as traditional as sumo wrestling gave us that legitimacy that has helped Japanese consumers, retailers, wholesalers, buyers say they're legit. Yeah. You know, they're coming in here, they're doing this, we love the commercial. I think that's really helped. That's a good point about legitimacy for sure. Mm -hmm. You mentioned New Otani before. Yeah. That was kind of like association legitimacy. Right. But if you are on TV, if you have a TV commercial in Japan, you are viewed as a legitimate brand. Well, Japanese say it in English, but they say, well, are you major? And it's like, if you do a TV spot, you're major. If you do a TV spot specific for Japan, based on Japanese, you're even more major. (laughs) Right. Again, in, in my career, I have never seen such a positive effect from a TV commercial. So, When you say positive effect, what do you mean? In sales? Yes. 
we can look at our weekly sales data and we can see exactly when the TV commercial started. If anybody wants to see that Haribo commercial, where can they find it? Uh, search YouTube for Haribo Sumo, and I guarantee it'll come up. Yeah. That's probably the easiest. Shooting a TV commercial with sumo wrestlers was a lot of fun. Yeah. I gotta probably agree with that. <laughs> Congratulations. I Thank love you. It. Love it. This segues into my free, unsolicited business idea for you, Paul. My pen is ready. Create a Japanese flavor version of Haribo Gumis. Okay. Ume, Yuzu, maybe even Shiso. Okay, oh, Shiso. I hear where you're coming yeah. from. When you launch this new Japanese flavor version Haribos, you hold a press conference and you invite the sumo wrestlers. <laughs> okay. I like it. But you also call the Guinness Book of World Records. Because you know the largest gumi bear in the world is only 2.3 kilograms. What? It's only five pounds. Create a gigantic gumi bear, preferably the same size as one of these sumo wrestlers. Oh my gosh. So number one, you create a huge buzz by right. getting into the Guinness Book of World's Records. You got the sumo wrestlers there, and you've got the Japanese flavored gummy bears that you're launching. Bam, that's my idea. Andrew, I'm, bu I'm buying what you're selling. You know? <laughs> no, I think that's great. I think, uh, you know, we're not quite there yet. Is it even possible for you to make, say, a Japanese flavor version of gummy bears? Yes. You know, there's requirements, minimum order quantities. So this is not yeah. a small thing, well, but it can be done. I came to you one time with a request. Paul, could you make some Zwilling logo gummy bears? Right. And the MOQ for that was so huge. Right. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, Haribo has big sales all over the world. Number one in almost every market that we're in. The plants are full. Yeah. So... Love to help you out, but you know maybe maybe another time. But I do think the Japanese flavor one you could eat meat, you could hit the MOQs with that. Two words: stay tuned. Nice. <laughs> Paul, what is your favorite Japanese word which doesn't have a direct English translation? A word that I use to try to keep myself sane in, in Japan, working with in Japan, is horenso. 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 Horenso is it's an abbreviation. Horenso. Ho. Hokoku. Hokoku to report. Ren is renaku to communicate or update. Correct. Yes. And so is sodang to consult. So horenso is inside big traditional Japanese companies. Horenso is what people do to when a problem arises. They go to their boss and they report what's happening, they update on the situation, and they consult. This is a process that almost comes up again and again and again. This is what they're trained to do. Not to make snap decisions, not to not check with others, but to discuss internally and go to, go to a boss or whatever. It's the opposite of empowerment. <laughs> Yes, 
a little bit the opposite of empowerment. Yes, very good way to put it. Yeah, nobody can make decisions on their own. That's one beneficial aspect of Japanese society. Yes, that was a long pause. Yes, can work very well. However, when when you when you're in a high growth, very competitive situation, you need sometimes to make decisions fast. It is a bit of an impediment to speed, efficiency. I was just having a conversation earlier today with somebody, and I said, "If you want to grow three percent a year, hold and so works very well. If you want to grow thirty percent a year, hold and so does not work very well、nice. at all." One of my least favorite words as a businessman that I hate to hear is "zendegaanai." I don't know what that means. Zendegaanai means. There's no example. There's no precedence、ah, for this. Precedent. Yes. Yes. So, yes, so yes. Yes. Nobody yes. wants to be the first to do anything in Japan, right? And、yes. so when somebody says that, when you pitch something,、yeah. and I think that probably in the West we say you have the opportunity to be the first person to do this. That's that's we, blue ocean. Yeah, we、that's、jump on that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's greenfield. Right. Right. How many more nature nature references can we do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But in Japan, it's the opposite, right? Well, and the, the couple stock phrases I, now that you yes, zen zendere is that you say zendega nai zendega nai. The couple stock re- replies that I get is like, "There's no market for that in Japan." Why? Well, it's never been done before. Therefore, there's no market. It's like, come on. Or the other one was, "Well, we don't know how to forecast that." Well, why? Well, it's never been done before. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> let's go. That's exciting, you know. Let's let's have that conversation. You know, it always makes me wonder who was or how did the first company that wanted to do like a train wrap,、mm-hmm. right, or like a train jack? How did they ever convince JR the Emanote line? How did they ever convince them to do that? I'm sure it was Densu somehow. <laughs> Wow, Paul, you got a lot of insight, and man, you've got a really interesting career in Japan. Thank you, Andrew. I want to thank you very much for coming today. Thank you for your time. Cheers, man. Cheers. Thank、yeah. you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. My pleasure. And that was Paul Kraft. His knowledge and insight on the consumer packaged goods market is second to none. Also, be sure to check out the Hadibo Sumo Wrestlers ad on YouTube. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Cheers, everybody. Thank、you